Greetings and welcome, listeners. My name is Dia Isidora Durden Robertson, and I am your occultist next door today. Join me for an explorative discussion and series of interviews in the topic of esoteric science and spirituality at Ask Your Occultist Next Door. listeners to another episode on dancing with dragons and it is indeed time we begin this dance the spiraling dance and today we're going to spin and twirl into the world of myth and mythos and i'm sitting here in the middle of a storm right now and storms are very much related to dragons as you will find out very soon so I've decided to record this podcast trusting that you hear what I have to say. So today we are diving into the world of myth, mythos and stories of the past. But more so, the understanding of distortion in the stories of the past. Now as a mythologist myself, I have spent many years of my life simply learning the wrong stories. So you can imagine when I became an independent researcher, um, discovering that a lot of the myth and mythos around dragons, and that applies actually to pretty much everything else, is a lie. Or it has elements of truth, but the story is dressed as a lie. So my intention here is to pick the storylines that I feel are salvageable and we can retell and reinterpret them in alignment with higher truth. And in order to do this, we have to look at the word dragon first. The word dragon has Greek origin. So we already haven't gone far enough in time Um, in the past, so to speak, to really have a good etymological understanding of dragons. But the word dragon originates from the Greek word derkume, and derkume means to see, the one who sees, because traditionally it was believed that dragons have a power of sight. They see past, present and future and they have a multidimensional vision. So they can see events happening simultaneously in different realms and realities and that gives them a cutting edge in leading people, in guardianship, in protection, which is actually the original true purpose of dragons was to guard, to protect, to keep what is sacred hidden. And they needed that sight for that. But if we step away from Greek for a moment, and we will return to that um, land and era of ancient Greece later on, there are other words that we can look at. Naher for Sicilians, Nathair, Natrix, Ader, other, the Sanskrit would call 
dragons or serpents. Ah, he. Opfis was also a Greek word for serpent. And Ashda or Ashdaha for Persians. So you can see that actually this Dre, Draco, Drago kind of sounding word is not even um, the original first word for dragons. And that is actually a good thing because unfortunately the word dragon now has a very strong association with off-planet Draco beings and reptilians, which dragons are not. I expressed it in my earlier podcast, but I'm going to affirm it again. Dragons are not reptilians and reptoid beings. They are primal beings, but the two is not the same. That is a distortion from a long, long time ago. But there are others. So let's look, let's look at some associations here you know the oldest dragon culture and perhaps the truest dragon culture that we can find today is of china and in chinese culture dragons are water elementals or more so they protect and guard water and that is again a key element they are not necessary one with the water element they're not necessarily one with the lakes and the rivers but they are guarding the lakes and the rivers and in many other culture that kind of act of guardianship does show up quite profoundly so at the very least this um, crumbs of truth managed to live on about dragons now the very first dragon culture is actually from ancient mongolia or today it would be mongolia um, place of the Manchu tribe who first met an earth dragon who was this water guardian and in Chinese culture the dragon is almost always with a few exceptions a protective spirit it is able to travel between the worlds and the realms between astral spirit and earthly through the elemental means of water in in the sky, in the clouds, in the form of rain, and of course the living water within the earth also. So the origin of this uh, Chinese dragon mythos points to the stars. It points to the North Star, which at the time was part of the Draco constellation. Now in the Rig Veda, we also find dragons present um, as an elemental being that lives within the clouds and when the children of Danon release and free, not murder and cut down, but release and free the dragon, its blood, which is rain, falls onto the ground and fertilizes the earth. And the Rig Veda deities are actually very very similar to the Celtic uh, children of Danu as they call the Tuta de Danon um, in their story, their origin, their shape not entirely the same but there are possible connections now that already taken us to Celtic myth and Celtic mythos and you know we are um, perhaps can say that we can consider um, the islands of Ireland, Scotland and Britain on dragon islands because dragon myth is very alive there but that is because it is the youngest 
Dragon Mythos comes to these islands um, the last time and in respective of the ages. So a lot of the myths is still very much alive. Whilst in other traditions and cultures, they get changed and rewritten. So in the Celtic Isles, uh, we have dragons that live within the earth. We have dragons that are vaishors and wise men. And we have dragons who decide to, um, let's just say, are living on the surface world in our, what we consider now, human world. But in a time when humans weren't really around, um, or at least weren't in connection with the dragons, and decide to enter into a collaborative union with the Eldar races of the Fae. And so from that uh, lineage or line, uh, a Fae and Dragon line is born, which later on becomes the line of Pendragon. So they are a birth child or um, descendancy of an elemental um, being, a dragon, and a fae royalty, of course, at that time. And that story is almost entirely uh, gone and only can be found in, in, you know, in sort of tiny snippets in some of the fae and elder myth and even, you know, modern storytellers today who work with Celtic mythology um, kind of dismiss it. Um, and that's okay. I, I still believe it is true because I believe that whatever's the most hidden is actually the most aligned. And we're going to come back to the Celtic world uh, later on because I want to talk to you about dragons and Drakinas today as well um, in a sort of um, capacity of a guide or an ascended uh, avatar being. But let's go to Greece first. So in Greek mythos, we have also uh, a very distorted dragon myth where the god Zeus uh, defends the dragon, forces him underground. And then in this story, the dragon becomes um, basically the lava in our volcano. So it becomes an angry dragon uh, by the interpretation. So you can really see that it not even uh, just water, but uh, all elements are uh, connected to the dragons. And this specific dragon happens to be called Typhon or Typhoon, um, which is uh, obviously the name we have given to very, very strong storms. So there is uh, another sky association. And just to point out, Zeus' divine weapon is a thunderbolt. So. The interpretation of that story by me is that Zeus, when forcing the dragon underground, actually takes its power. So he has to have the dragon underground, otherwise he cannot possess the power of the thunderbolt. So there's something going on there as well. Um, and there, by the way, very little uh, telling in any of these stories what the dragon has done in order to be deserve uh, the defeat or the killing, so to speak, there is not usually uh, an act of harm. 
very very rarely not later actually in medieval stories that those those uh, storylines are conjured where the d- dragon does something like stealing virgins or stealing milk and wine you know whatever um that the medieval uh populace sort of considered a crime uh and so um, to to proceed there is a very interesting uh, storyline from arcadia where the god ladon uh, who's by the way the serpent around the apple tree um is also slain by apollo now the interesting thing is that ladon's child daughter is actually uh daphne and he turns Daphne into a tree, which then becomes one of the first Arcadian symbols for the Tree of Life, to hide her from Apollo, because Apollo's trying to kill her. So Apollo has killed many uh, dragons and Strachinas, um, so it was a just um, act from Ladon, who is also, by the way, a river at the same time. So... That, that takes us to Apollo. Now, I know a lot of you love Apollo because he's shiny and gold and he's associated with the sun. However, he is one of the first uh, dragon killers that actually succeeds to an extent that he wipes out an entire lineage of seers. So how does that happen? So, the story that you know probably of Apollo is not the story of Ladon and Daphne, but perhaps Apollo and Pythia or Python. Now, this Python is is the divine source for the site of the oracles of Delphi, and she provides these human woman incarnates with sight of vision as an exchange so that she can live peacefully within the seas and in the land around. And this python is not raging and rampaging the land, by the way. She lives within the elements, and she lives under the sea and under the surface of um, the earth. And Apollo comes along and kills her, and then goes to the oracles of Delphi and says, well, from now on you're oracling for me. The problem was that these uh, divine feminine oracles received their sight from this serpentine uh, being and after she was slayed, they weren't able to receive sight so they had to start using uh, psychedelics, certain substances that they would inhale and smoke or eat or chew in order to induce a sight of vision. So you can see very easily that Apollo's actions and demands on um, the oracles were actually um, completely out of place because he caused the loss of sight for the oracles of Delphi. And by the way, in timeline, there were many oracles of Delphi, not just one. It was a linear succession, um, usually um, based on heritage. But later on, because of the loss of this connection with the serpent in the earth, um, the oracles were just uh, sort of selected from a group of priestesses. It wasn't hereditary anymore and disappeared because the readings became completely um, jumbled and confusing and actually needed a male priestess to stand by the oracle and interpret um, the readings. But to go back to dragons... Um, and generally uh, 
Drakinas. In Sumerian myths, we have a long succession of half-dragon, half-human beings. I think the most common you probably heard of is Tiamat herself. Uh, she is in her own right a dragon queen, but she's also a creator of the Sumerian world. And she does have these capacities even in these stories. And when other gods, let's just say that for the sake of the story, come along, um, she goes on a bit of a rampage um, and creates typhoons, thunderstorms, floods and actually creates one of the first floods that we've mentioned in history. And then eventually she's slain, but her body is so large that when she is slain by Marduk, her body actually becomes the land of Sumeria. So she's obviously not um, the Drakaina that I will be discussing later in this podcast, although she does receive this title of a Drakaina from the Greeks, but she is a dragon with uh, female attributes or mothering attributes, um, which is again, if you think about the mothering energy, the guardianship and protection comes in. So actually Tiamat causes no harm to nobody until her beloved, until her beloved is killed. Uh, and she's actually a very powerful elemental guardian. So again, these dragons are not the elements, they have uh, power over the elements and they also can metamorph into elemental beings and an elemental beings is what we're experiencing right now. It's a thunderstorm, it's a typhoon, it's uh, a flood, it's a volcano, the lava within the volcano erupting, all those are considered elemental beings. And then Tiamat's story resurfaces in the Greek culture and that's when she becomes a destructive force now. That takes us to Europe because this is also another place where we find similar uh, storylines. And just stay with me here because the central European Mystery and Dragons is one of the most distorted. So we really gotta look at uh, these repeating storylines of gods usually avian gods of planet or you know newly arrived at least from somewhere come along and kill all the dragons and then uh, obviously command the land they taken over and what happens when you um really truly kill elementals is you offset the balance of the earth you cause uh, a planetary tilt and as a result of this planetary tilt um the experience on this planet becomes very different. And some of these stories um, imply that uh, within the storyline and others are symbolic. So a lot of the European, Eastern European, especially stories that I've, I'm going to just um, drop nuggets of are actually symbolic. They are not actually truly killing the dragon. What happens, and that is the misinterpretation, one of the biggest one, is they pin the dragon down to the earth. And that is actually uh, an act of service, because some of these dragons in the stories do belong within the earth. So it is a magical act to 
pin the dragon to the earth so it can return its power, its force into the earth. Because what we need to realize, um, and we're gonna take the dragon perspective on this, if you have a long, long ancient history of um, being persecuted and labeled as a villain, you'll become it. And dragon is a powerful force. And it's a powerful avatar of the cosmos, but it is not incorruptible. So some of these dragons in these stories did need that help. And, you know, these stories were found or heard and then rewritten as stories of heroes, knights and warriors defeating and killing the dragon. And it's very hard to say that in which scenario and case that was actually necessary because the dragon was corrupted as in the nature uh, the natural power was corrupted and which of these stories were uh, actually the hero helping the dragon return to the elemental world now in any story you find a roping which you will in the story of saint martha for example um, or Saint Margaret uh, equally, the story of the original Saint George, not the Saint George that uh, that um, the Catholic Church trying to sell you on, but the original story of Saint George, which who wasn't called Saint George, by the way. Um, you find this rope. There is a process uh, of the defeat, and it involves three attempts, and then a rope goes on the serpent's neck. And then that is how it returns to the earth, that is how it's quote-unquote defeated. So those storylines, when you find the rope showing up, you need to understand them differently and understand that they are actually not murdering the dragons. They are helping it return to where it came from and also where it most flourishing. Our dragons on this planet need to have elemental connections. They cannot be separated from the elements because that doesn't serve us and most certainly does not serve them. Now let's look at some serpentine races. Um, there is a race called the Asayanas or Asayans who were serpentine dragon races of Earth. So again, they are a birth child of um, the Eldar and the dragon intermingling let's say and i'm purposely not using sexual terms because these unions actually don't uh form in a way we understand sexuality so these races aren't born from what we understand uh making a new life um but anyway so we have these ashianan and ashianan races and then later on they call the ophians and actually the Ophians are the forebears of a lot of the mythological beings that we've, we are aware of and learning about in Avalon Academy as well. For example, the water nymph and a lot of the water elemental fey beings, the well guardians, the well maidens that come in later medieval stories are of this Ophian race. And then we have the Celtic mythos, um, which is actually uh, a storyline that shows up in Central Europe and Romania as well. Um, and we have the Tuta de Danan or the Shining Ones, if you like that name better. 
who are an Eldar race, so they have Elven origin. And you know, in Ireland, they actually not considered gods, um, and they don't use the word Fae. I like to use the word Fae because uh, for me that's most resonant. But they are simply just called the good people. They are very uh, much humanoid race, um, much larger and taller than we are, and they had the capacity, ability, and talent. Uh, to be dragon masters. So all these storylines about the Tutta the Dan and killing dragons is a distortion. They were dragon riders and dragon masters, so they befriended the dragons and they were actually the race to have a lot of dragon beings return to Gaia's source, return to inner earth, which is a different realm, different dimension, and um, they returned some of the dragons into their uh, origin, source origin. Not all of them, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, in Celtic myth, there is a story of a battle between um, the Tutututau, the Shining Ones, and the Balrog, or the Balar, or Balar um, which is um, a giant race. And some, some um, you know, interpretations of that is that these giants were also elementals. But... Um, I don't think they were dragons. There are those understandings that they were dragons and there was a fight between them and uh, the Shining Ones were victorious uh, in that fight. But it's, it's, it's more likely that those races were indigenous um, giant-like races of the earth than that they were dragons. Um, there are Romanian myths that I really love. Eastern European Romanian myths is worth looking at, guys. Um, and Slavic too. Slavic and Icelandic stories are very beautiful. Um, and I'm actually gonna um, tell you this, this specific one. There is a Romanian slash Icelandic, so it's almost the identical story, um, where there is a dragon that lives far, far away from um, any inhabitants, but um, the man feel that you know uh, they need to make sacrifices so they obviously give a virgin to this dragon once a year right stay with me we all heard this story and what happens is actually the dragon is not really um just a dragon it's also uh, a person and when it goes through its transformation it falls in love with this girl and they together um start a sort of very divinely guided isolated magical life and then have children also so this is actually the very first example when uh, dragons are um, you know in any kind of union with humans because all the other stories before were elder and fey races and they actually produce a race of um, demigods right so a lot of the times um, when um, humans are involved, then their children will become demigods. And this race of demigods are protectors of the land and protectors of the weak and the innocent. So that takes us to another timeline. We're a lot closer to the now. It takes us to the medieval time of Hungary and Romania, where a similar version of the story exists, where there is um, a children of a queen and a dragon being that lives within the caves um, who vow to protect um, the sacred bloodline that is theirs, but also to protect the innocent and those that are weaker than them. And um, 
that is still researchable today. Thankfully, they are called the Order of the Dragon. Except that in Hungarian myths, the dragon is called Sharkan. So we don't have a Draco, Draco kind of word to associate. And they call the Sharkan the Order of the Dragon. And they actual one promise is to sacrifice themselves for the greater good. So they symbolism is a dragon being that tails is circled and sort of like on its neck um, and it is actually to symbolize that the dragon even though it's a higher consciousness being is willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good and that is generally what people don't tell you in dragon myth that dragons are here as guardians and they actually are here not as teachers but protectors dragons don't interfere with humans or any races only on these these very uh, specific storyline occasions they usually just protect life and generally that is the truth of all these stories and so that takes us to medieval europe when we have stories of Maggie Seen, who is half woman and half serpent or dragon with wings. And we have this very characteristic woman of the past who have huge influence on uh, our history, huge influence on how things are run. They usually are connected to or are royalty and they leave a mark in history that um, then huge efforts are made to hide and these are your drakinas a drakaina a drakaina is a dragon avatar ascended into a woman's body but not just any woman's body, a woman's body who has both a genetic, so DNA connection, and a soul lineage of one of these ancient bloodlines that I've mentioned. So they are capable of holding the magnitude of the dragon avatar force in their body. And at the same time, keep the dragon consciousness because what often happens with these avatars that um, ascend into human bodies or enter into human bodies, they suffer a memory loss, an incompatibility. So these avatars obviously come here because the consciousness of humanity needs to shift. Remember what we said at the beginning, dragon means to see, to have sight or vision. So these dragon avatars see what is going to happen to the planet, to humanity. It's not always about humanity, but obviously we are included in the consciousness of the planet. And they enter these very specific bodies. Now, the serpent half of the drakaina is a symbol of connection to the original primal source of creation the first primal source of creation right because there are also uh, many later abbreviations and arrivals to 
Earth that claim to be original. But these dragon beings are from the original infinite source of creation. So they have those memories on how to remember and experience that infinity. So to speak, how to remember to be immortal, to live forever, to treat death as a passage and not the end. And so the human half of the Drakaina is the woman. The woman that is connected to her divine source womb. She is the mother, the lover, the maiden. She's all that you would find in an aligned, centered woman of this earth. And so these Drakinas, we know them. We don't know them as dragons and Drakinas, but we know them because of these capacities. The original oracles of Dukti, Nuyusin of Lusunyon, Yusidna, Inanna, Isis, Bridget, the Mary of Magdala, John of Arc. These are dragon avatar women, and we reinterpreted and using the word Drakaina to identify them in history. And beyond identifying, to recognize them and give them the credit that they deserve for what they have done in human history. And sometimes some of these Rakhinas ultimately couldn't complete and finish their mission because there are indeed other forces who do not want these stories to see the light of day, but they also do not want uh, interference with their idea of what is original creation, which is actually not original. It's, um, it's a hologram, a false reality. So you can understand it this way. These Drakinas come to Earth to create cracks in the system of false reality to shatter the matrix and some of those ladies I listed have indeed succeeded that doesn't make them goddesses because a goddess is a being who has direct connection to creation so it's a celestial creational force but it makes them trichinas and it makes them beings in service to earth and if they service to earth they are in service to you because you are part of earth too and the mission and the divine calling is always the same with slight differences restore power into the hands of those that know how to wield it teach people humility teach people the way of love instead of self-destruction and greed teach them to share power to protect the source of original life and to protect and guide the less fortunate always that is the creed 
of the Order of Dragons. That is the Origin of Dragon Codex. And that is what we are embodying, learning and exploring in the Avala Mystery School and Academy um, on the foundation level when we're learning about the Dragon Dynasties specifically and Dragon Consciousness and Dragon Wisdom. And as I said, with all that, dragons are not incorruptible. And when they are corrupted, they become the polarity, the shadow of everything they stand for. That is the cosmic joke. And so there are the stories of the dragons being greedy, the story of Fafnir, for example, um, which the Lord of the Rings were modeled upon. And when this dragon force loses its memory or is distorted or corrupted, then it becomes everything it is standing against and fighting against. And so almost this is, is what gave given all those Catholic priests writing these stories about dragons that are destructive um, and unfortunate but valid grounding to really sell these dragon stories to people. You've got to remember that when um, the Catholic Church decided that every priest should be a writer, that every priest should write story, and not only should they write story, uh, they didn't do it because that was their hobby, by the way. Uh, they did it because they were told to grab uh, ancient Celtic word of mouth and ancient word of mouth stories in every culture there is and write their own version because most people at the time couldn't read. So the stories were told by these priests, written down by them, and of course the old word of mouth stories were not written. So only you only needed a bit of time, a couple hundred years, and they became the only story there is. Um, and some, of course, I'm not saying that all the Catholic priests had the intention to distort everything, uh, Maybe some of them were ex actually excited to uncover what was even at the time already quite hidden. Um, but ultimately, uh, a lot of the stories that are given to us about saints um, from the church is uh, a birth child of misinterpretation and distortion. And it is hard, actually, to find the true stories because a lot of them comes from before ancient world myth. So even the ancient world stories that I shared in this podcast today sometimes are already retold because the original dragon stories come from the time before what we call the ancient world. So of course we will lose things in interpretation but we also are smart enough, capable enough and we are dragons and we are seers and see the multidimensional universe and are able to, with our intellect, our heart and our connection to true source, not false source, remember these stories and look at the lines and breadcrumbs in them and understand them for what they are, what they meant to be. So I think that's enough to share for today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and you managed to stay with me until the end. 
thank you so much for listening and I will be back soon with more opportunities for us to dance with dragons. Thank you.